So we're going to continue in our journey through James, and um, I just want to say this: you know, I understand this is not a this is this is not an easy book. I understand that this every time I read it, I feel like, oh God, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's uh, James is is um, he's he's quite straight, and and I trust that even as I preach it, I'm trying to preach it in as a, a light way as I can. But uh, I hope it is challenging you, I hope that it is encouraging you, and I hope it is refreshing you. I think if we preach through this book well, by the time we finish preaching this book, you should have a very, very good understanding of what the gospel of Jesus is. It's an amazing book. And so I'm going to talk this morning on James chapter 3, verse 3. And I've called this message, The Master Key. The Master Key. The key of all keys. The key that you need in your life for your life to be peaceful and to be fruitful, and to be full of joy. Who wouldn't want to have that kind of key in their lives? Well, I want that kind of key. You know what James says the master key is? The master key of all keys in all of our lives that solves all of our problems is our tongue. And I'm going to read a couple of verses with you from chapter 3, and um, it's verse 3. It says this, If we put bits into our mouths, into the mouths of horses, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ship also. Even though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs it. And so those are the two um, verses we're going to look at this morning, and I'm going to reflect back a little bit on what I said last week. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that you'd help me, that you'd give me grace now uh, on this beautiful day, Lord. We wanted to celebrate your goodness and your kindness in, in every way in our lives, every good thing that you're doing. We want to have joy in our lives in every way. And I pray, Lord, as you speak to us and as we learn to get control of how we speak, I thank you, Father, that that releases joy. And I thank you, Lord, that you, you say that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we want that joy every day to refresh us and encourage us and to encourage others around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, last week I had a look at and, um, what James has to say about preachers, people like me. Uh, people that want to teach, and he gave the teachers a hard time. He said, not many of you should become teachers. And uh, he said, because teaching is a speaking gift, and it's a communication gift, words of power for good and for bad, and teachers especially have to be careful of how they speak. And um, he had a very strong encouragement to, to preachers uh, that they are judged more strictly than others. And we had a, we had a look uh, what that meant last week. And again, I just want to say, if you weren't here last week, please catch up and have a listen on the podcast. But what he did say, he said a very wonderful thing as he finished that first little uh, portion of chapter 3, the first couple of verses. He said, we all stumble, we all make mistakes in how we speak, but maturity is possible. Maturity is possible. And I'd like to have a look at that in particular this morning, what maturity means. And then I'd also like to have a look at these two images that he uses of a ship's rudder and a bit in... uh, in a horse's mouth, and how those are very positive images about how our whole lives can be, the the direction of our lives can be determined by a very small thing, and that's our tongue, just using that very obvious image, and I trust that you would find it helpful this morning. How many of you would admit that your tongue has got you into trouble in your life? Anyone? (laughs) So we're all in the same boat, all of us, all of our hands are raised. There's always been, there's been times that all of you, all of us could say we've had a hasty word, we've been unwise in how we've spoken, we've exaggerated, there's been perhaps an untruthful statement, a sly suggestion, just to kind of 
make sure we kind of go one-upmanship on somebody else, or harmful gossip that destroys someone's reputation, or um, sexual impurity, just innuendo, where you're suggesting something sexually that you know is wrong. But um, I want to say to you this morning that I believe what James is trying to tell us is much more than just getting control of our tongues. He's, he's speaking something that's much more profound than that, something that is much deeper than that. I, I want to say that he's, I feel like God has helped me to understand out of this portion that he is saying that if we can win this battle with our mouths, every battle in life is won. That's a completely different thing. It's not just getting control of your tongue. It's, it's more important than that. It's actually, if, if we win this battle with how we speak, every battle in our lives is won. That's, I believe, what James is saying. And so he uses these two small illustrations of the horse um, with the bit in its mouth and the rudder of the ship that takes it in any given direction. Despite wind, despite buffeting, he's saying that those two small things control the direction of both a horse and of a ship. And the comparison is obvious. The tongue is the master key. The tongue is the most vital thing that has control and direction of what our direction our life, move, our life moves into. So I want to say this, reflecting back on the first two verses, James said maturity is possible. Maturity is possible. I'm going to look at that in a short while. Do you control the tongue, which is either enabling you to move towards maturity or the tongue is taking you away from maturity. In other words, by the way you speak, you're either moving towards maturity, perfection, or you're remaining immature in the way that you speak. And I want to, that's the basic theme that I'd like to explore with you this morning. You know, our, our circumstances change and vary so much, don't they? In the last three years, we've seen this, um, this nation go through a, a huge recession um, where we, three, four years ago, there was just money aplenty and everyone had enough and we all had jobs. And now three years later, unemployment is sky high and uh, people are battling and salaries have been cut. This is just a reality, isn't it? We've had no control over that. Uh, so we've faced pressure of lean times. And there's another pressure that comes when you're very prosperous, when you have lots. That's another kind of pressure. When you have lots of money, how you spend it, what you give it to, there's a, that's a different kind of pressure that we have to learn to um, handle. But whether it's unexpected joys or whether it's unwanted pressure and shocks that we all experience, what James is saying is that the tongue is a rudder that can help you steer through the course of whatever life throws at you. That's an amazing thing, learning to respond in a godly way and speak in a godly way. And so, if we can win this battle with our tongues, we have won every battle. It is the master key. It's like those light switches up there. They're all controlled by one switch, the master switch on the board. It's like if you have control of the master switch, you don't have to worry about the faders going up and down. All you need to do is to switch the master switch off and the lights die. That's what he's saying. The master switch in your life. Have control of your life, of your tongue in your life. You have won every battle. That is an amazing thing. And that's what I think he's trying to say. And so, that's a profound thing. It's a simple thing. And it's a very difficult thing that he's saying at the same time. Just because it's simple doesn't make it easy. He's saying a very, very difficult thing. And the, the, the Greek word that he uses in verse 2, where he says, he uses the word perfection. I've had a look at that. That word is teleos. That word is teleos. It's the Greek word 
for full grown, for maturity, for growing up. And so in that sense, it becomes perfect when it's full grown. And so that's what he's trying to encourage us into. He's trying to encourage us as God's people into full grown maturity, which is, which is perfect. Teleos. Okay? It's not sinless perfection, and I'd like to try and explain that a little bit more this morning. And so James is saying, we all make mistakes, but perfection, teleos, maturity, full-grownness is possible. And so I want to give you some other references in the New Testament where this word perfection is used. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, you therefore must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus used that word. He's not saying perfect without sin. He's saying mature. You too must be mature. You, you too must respond like your Father in heaven responds. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 6, amongst the mature, it's the same word, amongst the mature, teleos, we impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or seen by the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So Paul says amongst those that understand, amongst those that are godly, that are mature, the word that he speaks is a word of wisdom. He concludes um, 1 Corinthians 14 in verse 20. Paul simply says, we must be mature, perfect in our understanding. Telios. We must be perfect in our understanding. He finishes 2 Corinthians 13, uh, that, that letter, he closes it by saying, be perfect. Again, it's this thing of maturity. In Ephesians 4.13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's always trying to encourage God's people into maturity, into a grown-upness, to a full stature, and that word teleos means that. It means this perfect, perfect state of maturity. And one of my favorite verses, he says in Colossians 1, 27, To them God chose to make known how great amongst the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature, Telios, perfect in Christ. And lastly, Paul encourages Timothy, his son in the faith. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproach, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, mature, telios, full-grown, grown up in all things. Equipped for every good work. That's what the Scripture is supposed to do. The Scripture is supposed to address our immaturity. It's supposed to address where we need to grow up. It's supposed to address uh, false spirituality. And say, actually, no, no. God wants us to grow up and be full-grown men in Christ. Women in Christ. Helios. Perfect. Not not sinless perfection. And so what I'm trying to say in in this instruction that Paul gives us in these scriptures, the tone of those verses is clear. God wants us to grow up, and I think he's not um, saying that in a condescending way either. Not a, you know, and, and this is an amazing thing. There's this paradox that, uh, that we, we have to live in. And so I want to ask a question. If James introduces this and says, we all stumble in many ways, is it possible to become perfect? I mean, or is this just a, a paradox? Is maturity possible? 
or is it not possible? I believe that we have to see what James is trying to say here in the light of two verses, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 2. In chapter 1, verse 3, he said this, For you know, talking about going through hard times and, t- and, and testing and trials, he says, The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness has its full effect in your life that you might be perfect. Again, he uses that word. And complete, mature, lacking in nothing. In chapter 2, we had a look at the, the wonderful example of Abraham. In verse 22, it says, His faith was active along with his works, and he was his faith was perfected. It, was, it reached maturity. It grew up to a full stature when he offered up his son Isaac. Are you with me? So this is the tone of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I want to put it to you that there are very few Christians that are willing to live with this kind of tension in their lives. And this is a tension. The tension is, we are perfect in Christ because of the cross of Jesus. And when He looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness in our lives. That We are saved by grace through faith. That's the first part. Yes? The one extreme. The other part of the tension is that maturity is possible as we walk by the Spirit and as we allow the Spirit to teach us and transform us. So, either we can have this one of these two extremes or there's another way which I want to suggest to you is what God is saying. The first is this, I am perfect in Christ. Therefore, it's all very easy because Jesus has taken everything upon himself. And so, I am healed. And so, I am free from all sin. I don't sin. I've heard this language so often in the, in the, in the church. But you know what, 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 what that can produce in your life? is an unreality. An absolute unreality. I've had to counsel people that are, are physically, critically ill. And they say, I'm healed because of the blood of Christ. Everything is in the atonement. I'm healed because of the blood. I agree that everything is in the atonement. So this can be an unreality. It's just like it's a, a weird thing. And on the other hand, then there can be those that, that say, well, because of the grace of God, I'm free in every way. This, this thing here also can produce, um, it can produce like a, a licentiousness. And what I, what I'm trying to mean by licentiousness is this. It's, um, it's just me and the Holy Spirit. I'm free in Christ, I don't need anybody else. And so licentiousness can be more than just talking about sexual immorality. That's the ultimate expression of licentiousness. But there's a licentiousness that says, I will not be submitted to anybody. I will just be submitted to the Holy Spirit. I don't need any person in my life to tell me what to do or to encourage me. I just need the Holy Spirit. That is a licentiousness. It's a lawlessness that comes. Now you see, if you've come from a a background in church where there's been legalism, if you hear me say that, everything inside of you is going to go, oh, that makes me very nervous because I've been hurt by people and people have been legalistic and people have put stuff on me and I don't want that, I don't want that, I want to be free. Are you hearing me? But that's not maturity. And that's what I'm trying to say to you this morning. That, that kind of licentiousness which says, I don't, need God, I don't need God's people, I don't need the church, I just need the Holy Spirit, that is not a full understanding of the Scripture. Right? That's on the one hand. On the other hand, 
You can get into this thing where you say, well, if, it's, if we all make mistakes and it's, 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 it's so impossible, I don't want to even try. So you can have that extreme as well. So I don't believe that's what James is saying. Because remember what I tried to say a couple of weeks ago. I'm married to Helen. What makes our marriage good is the years that we've worked together and, the, and how God has changed us and transformed us. It wasn't the legal bits that gave us a great marriage. When we come and we are saved, the legal bit is absolutely assured for eternity. But what gives us a great relationship with God is the walking together. It's the, it's the hearing from the Holy Spirit. It's, it's changing. It's having a soft heart. It's allowing God to challenge and transform. That's what a great relationship with God is made up of. And I want to say there's a, this paradox that there seems to be. There is a third way. I believe it's God's way. Because what does James say? He says, if anyone, he puts an if there. He says, if anyone is able to control his tongue, he's mature in every way. And so it's, it's like he's encouraging us. He's, he's offering us a possibility that there's a journey that we can go on that is completely different. And it's not the extreme of that, and it's not the extreme of this. And I am certain that I've, as I've been studying this book and studying this chapter, I am certain that James is doing all that he can to encourage us to walk a journey with God towards maturity without becoming self-righteous about it. I'm convinced that's what he's trying to say. He's encouraging us. He's saying, come on a journey with the Holy Spirit in your life, resting in the fact that you are saved, but come on a journey with the Holy Spirit that can take you towards maturity and perfection and teleos without being self-righteous, without looking down on other people. And I believe that is the heart of Paul. I cannot think of anyone in the Scripture who has a greater understanding, revelation of the grace of God. Paul, a murdering Pharisee who hated the church and hated Christians, is absolutely transformed radically by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his life is so transformed that he then gives himself to loving other people, loving the church, uh, living for others, living unselfishly, enduring hardship and trial and suffering. You can't do that unless you've had an amazing revelation of the grace of God. He has this incredible understanding, and yet he lives radically. Loving the church, loving God's people. And then in Philippians, he says this incredible thing. This is the man that understands grace more completely than anyone has ever understood grace before. He's, he's, in, in, he's, he's written it down so that we can study it and understand it. In the most, he's got the most amazing brain. And he writes it down, and then he says this to the Philippian church. This man who understands all of these things and has had direct revelation from God, he says this, I, not that I've already obtained all of this, not that I've already become perfect. Philippians. But, says, I've understood these things, but I'm not yet perfect. Uh, I'm not, I've still got much to learn. And he says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He understands. Christ Jesus has made me his own. Of course Christ has made me his own. But I press on. Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, all of my past, all of that is under the blood of the cross, I forget all of that, and straining on forward to what lies ahead. Still a journey to, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call which is in Christ Jesus. 
Let all of us that are mature think in this way, and if anyone thinks otherwise, God himself will reveal that to you also. That's what, it's exactly what Paul is saying. You rest in your salvation. You rest in the fact that you're saved. But then there's a, there's a journey that God invites you to, and it's a, it's a forward journey. It's a journey of, yes, God, I want to become mature. I don't want to strive. I'm not trying to earn my salvation. It's by your Spirit. But show me as I walk how I can become mature, more mature, how I can be kinder to other people, how I can facilitate your Holy Spirit in my life. Are you getting me? And there's great humility there. There's great humility with Paul. And that's why I'm saying there's this paradox that we must be able to live with, that we are perfect in Christ, and yet we are ever increasingly becoming more perfect in Him as we journey together with Him. And so we want to live free of licentiousness on the one hand, and we want to live free of legalism on the other, and the third way is this way that James is calling us to. And I believe it's so important. Why do I say that? Because I want to say this. I think there's, a, there's an ugliness and there's a polarization that has plagued the church for centuries. It's ugly. And so you have the reformed guys on one hand saying, we're absolutely right about all of this stuff and we're saved by grace through faith. And then on the other hand, you have uh, people that say, no, it's more important how you respond to, and unless you, unless you respond to God, you're not saved. And, and there's all this fighting that's been happening for centuries in the church. It's ugly. It polarizes people. And I want to plead with you in this church that we have maturity, that we can make space for people that actually differ slightly from us. We are all on that scale somewhere, aren't we? We're all on that scale somewhere. Some guys want the Holy Spirit more. Some guys want the Word more. Some guys say it's important that you must show righteousness in your life. I would agree with that. I tend towards saying, yeah, if there's no righteousness in your life, then I, I want to say, what happened here? Did you have revelation of Christ? But we are all on the spectrum somewhere. Can we give each other space? Can we be mature enough to love each other and say, well, we are all on a journey and I'm not going to look down on you and you're not going to look down on me and we're going to just celebrate together as we walk and God changes us and transforms us and we're going to celebrate each other's strengths and we're going to love each other? Is that possible? I hope it is because there's no other way. Because then all it does is we get into camps and I'm in this camp and I'm with this person and I... No, Paul says, all of these are yours. All of these teachers are yours. Every single one of them are yours. Am I Paul? Am I Apollos? Am I this? Am I that? No, Christ is the center. And those are all gifts to you. Are you hearing me? The most important thing that I believe James is calling us to is walking by the Spirit out of love for God. And what really matters most is that we are people of the Word who demonstrates God's grace through our lives of love to a world that doesn't know His love. That's the most important thing. Paul put it perfectly. He said the most important thing is faith being expressed through love. And all of us are going to do it slightly differently. All of us are going to have certain things that are convictions for us. Can we make space for each other? that we can enjoy this journey together.
And wherever you are on the spectrum, that you love people who are a little bit different in their, in their understanding. You see? I want to give you two illustrations of how Jesus talks about maturity, this thing of being perfect. And the first is this, uh, I've always found this story fascinating. In Matthew 19, 20, remember there's the, the young man that comes to, to Jesus and he says, I've followed the law all my life. I've done all this stuff. He's, he's one of these guys on this side. He says, I've followed the law. I've done everything perfectly. What else must I do? What else must I do to uh, achieve eternal life? What I still lack, that's the word he says. Jesus turns around and he says to him, if you want, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be teleos, if you want to be mature, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And it says, when the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful because he was very wealthy. <laughs> See, it's different things to different people, isn't it? Here Jesus is pointing to the young man and saying, if you want to be, if you want to be teleos, if you want to be mature, if you want to be Perfect in every way. Here's what you need to learn to do. You need to learn to be detached from earthly wealth. That it doesn't really impact you anymore. That money doesn't matter to you. If you can win that battle, you are going to be able to follow me. That's what it was for the young man. What about um, Matthew 5.44? Where Jesus says this. I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. I, at, at the beginning of my life, I, I hoped that I, I wouldn't have any enemies. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people that don't like me. They are my enemies. You know what Jesus says? He says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Pray for those that persecute you. Pray for those that give you a hard time. Pray for those that are always a thorn in your side. Pray for those that persecute you so that you might be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward is that do you have? Even tax collectors do that. If you only greet your brothers, your friends, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. You must therefore be perfect. Teleos, mature, as your Father is in heaven who is perfect. There it is again. So what is he saying to all of us? He's saying we can show maturity, we can show perfection in our lives by showing forgiveness to others. Even our enemies. How easy is that? It ain't easy. But it's possible by the Spirit. And so what I'm saying is that James is talking about a maturity here of the whole person, the whole man. We're not talking about perfectionistic people uh, who are trying out of a self-righteous way to be perfect, out of carnal motivation. That's not what he's talking about. That's saying I can do a whole lot of stuff without God. He's not saying that at all. James is not talking about that. He's saying, he can say, he can say this, we all make many mistakes and not panic when he says that. Why can he not panic when he says that? Because he understands we are saved by grace through faith. So he says, if you make a mistake, don't panic. Don't run around. Don't say, oh God, you don't love me anymore. No, I've just made a mistake. I've stumbled. And then 
God, what do you do? You throw yourself on the mercy of the cross once again, and you come to God and you say, oh God, I'm so sorry. I really am so sorry. Please help me. And at the same time, you live your life with a conviction that actually that's not the way it should be. It's a paradox. It's a tension. You hear what I'm saying? In fact, John, John understood that. 1 John 2 verse 1 says, My little children, he's addressing these people, he says, My little children, I am writing to you so that you may not sin. In other words, his expectation is that we don't sin. John, when he writes. But then he carries on, he says, But if anyone does sin, if anyone does stumble, we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus, the righteous one. Isn't that marvelous? That should just like, take all the pressure off. Of course we shouldn't sin. Of course we shouldn't get angry. Of course we shouldn't shout. Of course we shouldn't. We are made, we are perfect in Christ and we are being made perfect. But if you do, don't beat yourself up. Throw yourself on the mercy of the cross and say, God, I'm so sorry. Please help me. I know I shouldn't be like this. I'm so weak and you are so strong. Please help me by your spirit not to live like this. It's a different thing. And so James says, and I'm finishing with this, three points this morning. Three points this morning. Our mouths are the key to maturity. Our mouths. And I want to just have a look at a couple of things in terms of how we speak to each other. It's a measure, our words are a measure of whether we are moving towards teleos or our words are a measure that we are moving away from teleos. And this is true of all the great characters in the Bible. I want to give you a couple of examples. Do you remember the story of Abigail, 1 Samuel 25? Abigail, Scripture says, she's a beautiful woman, a wise woman. Abigail's pain is that she's married to a fool. She's married to an unwise, stupid man, selfish, unrighteous in every way. His name's Nabal. And uh, if you read the story in 1 Samuel 25, David is fleeing Saul, and he's, um, he's looked after the, the, the flocks and the herdsmen of Nabal while he's been out in the wilds and he's kind of really taken care of, of this, this man's um, flocks. He's not stolen anything for his men. And so he sends a message and he says, he says Nabal, please just uh, help me. You know, uh, please, can you give me something to eat? And, and Nabal responds very poorly, very badly. And so like, there's this real, the servants go back to Abigail and say, actually, Nabal, really, he blew it. And actually, David has been very, very kind to us. And actually, can we just avoid a disaster? Because David is really angry now. And, and can we just do something to avert disaster for, for the whole community? Because Nabal has been such a fool. And so Abigail goes and she, she uses incredible words of wisdom as she speaks to David. And go and read the story of how she persuades David and eventually saves her whole family and her whole community. The, the, inter- the interesting part of the story is that when she goes back it says Nabal has been, has been feasting all night, and she goes back and tells him what, he, what, he, what, what she's done. He, it's, the scripture just says he goes pale, and he freezes, and a week later he's dead. So he either has a heart attack on the spot, or he has a stroke, because he's kind of like, he's so, 
what has my wife done? He's so shocked, uh, I suppose, and he dies. And Abigail ends up marrying David. But she uses these incredibly wise words in how she speaks. What about Jesus? What about Jesus in, uh, in Luke 12? It comes after the parable of the rich fool. And the rich fool is a little parable which says, you know, why do you go around all day saying you're going to make money, I'm going to do this, and uh, I'm going to store up barns for myself and all this kind of stuff. And then Jesus says, you fool, because you don't know that today, tonight, your very life might be taken. And all that stuff, all that treasure that you put your heart into is going to mean nothing. And he carries on then, and he says to his disciples, after he's, he's that little parable, he speaks these incredibly encouraging words to them, and he says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about worldly wealth. Don't be anxious in this spiritual climate. Sorry, in this economic climate. Can I just ask you guys, every one of you, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about your provision. Why? Why? Because Jesus says, he says, don't value things as the world values things. Seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you, and it's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's how he comforts them. After he's told this parable about the rich fool, who's put his, his trust in, in money. He says, now you don't be like that. Don't be anxious like the world is anxious. Don't worry about it. Just seek me. Seek my kingdom and all the stuff I'll give you anyway, and it's my pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's amazing. What about Paul in Galatians 1? Sorry, Galatians 6 verse 1. Where he's got this incredible heart. He says, if anyone of you is um, caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you to be tempted. There's this incredible way that Paul speaks to the church to say he wants to restore people. And I think it's one of the greatest challenges for any of us that have walked with God is that we can be used with, by God to restore people, someone who's fallen into holiness again. That they're not, they're not, um, there's a stability in their lives, that they're not t- tossed this way and that. And that requires great skill. It, it requires walking by the Spirit. It requires well-chosen words. And it requires acceptance and change um, and, and, and gentleness to see that happen in someone's life. What about John 8, when Jesus talks to the woman caught in adultery? He stands up, he says to you, woman, where are they that accuse you? And she says, there's no one there. And so he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Incredible words of restoration. You can only speak those words if you know grace yourself. And so I want to say this. Um, our words can destroy, but our words can heal. Our words should be guarded by the Spirit in every way. And our words can be words that are wise, optimistic, and confident that empower other people. Look how Romans 8 verse 31. Look how Paul speaks here and encourages the Roman church. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us, how will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, danger, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or the sword, as it's written, for your sake, 
we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, that's encouraging words. Can we be a community that gives itself to encouraging each other? You don't need anyone to tell you you're useless. The world tells you you're useless all the time. Surely the community of God should be a community where we are championing each other and saying, I see the good thing that God has given you and I want to encourage that with all of my heart. I love you. You know, Jesus mostly was a gentle person. We had a look um, when we were, who, who was talking about well, this week? I can't remember. We were talking about Jesus clearing the temple. He t- takes the whip and he gets really angry. But most of the time, he was only angry with religious people. He was only angry with Pharisees. He was only angry with people that got in the way of God revealing himself to the nations. But most of the time, he was very gentle. Very gentle, particularly with sinners. And remember what he says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28? Someone quoted it this morning. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus' words are gentle. How are our words with each other? What about forgiveness? There's a great story in um, 2 Samuel 16. Again, one of David's stories. Remember, Absalom, his son, rebels, takes over the kingdom. Uh, David is forced to flee Jerusalem because of this rebellion of his son. And um, there's a man called Shimei who starts cursing him as he's leaving Jerusalem. He starts cursing him. He curses David. He curses him about a whole lot of stuff. He says, there's blood on your hands, etc., etc., etc. And David responds in an incredible way. He's patient. He's tolerant. He's forgiving. He does nothing against the man. And he, even though he's not guilty of those things that uh, Shimei is, is accusing him of, he knows that he's guilty of other things. He knows that he's stolen someone else's wife. He he knows that he's killed a man. And so he knows that he's guilty of some things and he responds to this man who's cursing him with forgiveness and with tolerance because he knows how much God has already forgiven him. And there's a lesson for all of us in that. The best way to overcome your enemies is to make them your friends. The way to do that is to leave judgment to God. Leave, Leave that to Him alone. He does that perfectly. And then lastly, I would just like to speak to you about love, about affectionate words, and I'm going to do this in five minutes, just talking about the use of our tongue, whether we're moving towards maturity or away from maturity. I believe we we need to cultivate deep affection in our hearts. You see, when there's a deep affection in our hearts, it speaks of the gospel. When there's a generosity in our hearts, it speaks of the gospel. When there is um, a severity in the way that we speak to each other, that speaks of legalism. Severe, the Pharisees were always severe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were always like that. 
I, I, I can't, you know, it's very hard for me when, when you see people speaking to their kids like that. Always, oh, 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 oh. And I, I sometimes speak to my kids like that. It's legalistic. It's not the gospel. And um, what am I saying? I'm saying it's mainly a matter of love. That's what James is calling us to. That's what Christ calls us to. That's what Paul encourages us into. Love is seen in how we walk, how we talk, and how we respond, and what we do. And there's a Dutch theologian, a great guy called Henry Nowen. He says this. He says, don't hesitate to love and to love deeply. It's dangerous to love deeply. <laughs> when you've been hurt, when your heart has been smashed up by people, it's a dangerous thing to once again say, okay, God, I choose to open my heart. I'm going to be soft. I'm, I'm not going to respond like that. It's hard for me, but I'm going to do it because I need to love. Because you love me. Are you with me? So don't hesitate to love, and don't hesitate to love deeply. And I think what is sad is that some people think that kind of affection is unnecessary. They think it's important. I don't know why. Perhaps as we grow into adults, we, 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 we think, well, it's not important anymore to hug our kids or to love each other or to give someone a kiss. And yet Paul's language is greet each other in the church with a brotherly kiss. His language, his tone is deeply affectionate. And you might say, well, I'm English. I don't do that. Well, we're going to look at cultural differences as well because Paul faced cultural differences in his church in the churches, many cultural differences, and he had to handle it. And so, so do we, as we're growing up in a multicultural nation. We've got to learn to handle cultural differences. And so he says, I- I'm saying to you, I don't know why it is that, that people find it difficult. Galatians 5:22. What's the first of the fruits of the Spirit? Love. That's where it all starts. It starts with love. Oh, so are we looking for a kingdom of love? Are we looking for of building a kingdom of love? And for me, a loving kingdom starts with loving talk, loving communication, great friendliness and politeness and affection. You shall know they are Christians by their love. How does love come out? It comes out of our mouth. And so it's vital that we learn to show this kind of affection in our families and with our friends and in the body of Christ. It's health. And there's so, so many of us fear showing affection, don't we? I mean, there can be many reasons for that. Maybe you grew up in a, in a home where it wasn't um, shown like that. Um, and we can take some of those difficulties into adulthood with us. Um, you know, children are very affectionate, but it's like when we grow up, we kind of we grow out of showing affection. And that's sad. I don't know why that is. Perhaps we feel like if we show affection, we're showing someone else that we need them, that we depend on them. Maybe we fear that we might be rejected if we show affection to people. And here I come to this thing of Paul with the Corinthian church because Paul had this problem in the Corinthian church. He was an apostle to this church. You know, it's a very, very vibrant church. It's a very gifted church in many ways, but it's a very immature church in other, in other ways. And so they have a problem with Paul because they say he's insincere. They say he's unreliable. He's changed his plans to come to them a number of times. And so... I want to say maybe he was understood because he was a Jew and they were Greeks. There was a cultural difference. And maybe the way that they wanted to organize things and do things was different from the way that he did. And so there's this cultural difference in the, in, in, in the, in the, in the church and he's criticized by them. He's, he's attacked by them. And they say, well, you, you, you're useless, Paul. <laughs> you change all the time and what are you doing? And they're angry with him. I thought about it this week. What, what would I have done? Would I have retaliated? Would I have 
criticized back? Would I have said, well, just let me tell you, this is not how it was. Would I have justified myself? I don't know what you think you might have done. But look what Paul does. That's an amazing thing. He shows more of his heart to them, not less. He doesn't close up. He opens up and he pleads to them for openness, for affection, and for loving communication. That's what he says. He says this, 2 Corinthians 6, 11. I've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open to you. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affection, your own love. In return, widen your heart also. He appeals to them. He says, my heart is wide open. You open your heart as well. Don't hold back in your own affection. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Give it away. And so I want to say, as we go forward as a church, I think this must be a healthy church community, the aspiration of a healthy church community. We don't want a restrained culture in the church where people are kind of tiptoeing and uh, don't want to show affection because there's, there's hurt. A healthy church must surely have a culture of warm, affectionate friendship and open, uncomplicated communication. Why? Because it's made up of warm, affectionate, uncomplicated people that are set free by Jesus. Relationships can't be complicated. They shouldn't be complicated. And that's only going to happen as if the church opens its heart to God and the church opens its heart to each other. The only way it's going to happen is I open my heart to God and I open my heart to you. And you open your heart to God and you open your heart to me. It's a warm, affectionate, uncomplicated thing that happens as we journey together by the Spirit. Right. So in conclusion, our tongues, our words, with them we move towards maturity, towards teleos, towards perfection, towards love, Our tongues are the master key. Let's commit ourselves before God to loving each other with our words and with our actions. And uh, this is a matter of godliness, to use our tongues correctly. It's a battle that must be won. It's the battle of all battles, learning to control our tongues. And uh, it's much more than keeping quiet. It's much more than just restraining yourself and not saying anything. That's a certain kind of self-control, but that's not love, because love always expresses itself. So what James is saying is that we must so be in control of our tongues, have won that battle on the inside of our hearts, that when we speak to people, we are speaking generously, we're speaking lovingly, we're speaking affectionately, we're giving it away to other people, and it's setting people free. It's positive, it's gracious, it's kind, it's God's joy flowing out of our mouths. And the amazing thing is that James doesn't say how we are to do this. He simply implies that as God's people, we can do it. He doesn't tell us how. He doesn't give us three steps to controlling the tongue. (laughs) He just uses these two pictures. This is a great battle that wins every other battle. I believe that if we can learn to win this battle together, we will start to see God do amazing things through us, and we will do amazing things for Him as we simply get control of how we speak and how we express love to each other. I trust that's been helpful. Uh, and I, like I said, I know that James is, um, can be a challenging book, but it's worth, worth it. Because God is changing us, making us more like Jesus. Amen? Please stand with me and let's pray as we finish.
Uh, Father, we, we don't ask that you would help us. And Holy Spirit, we, we know that you are changing us and transforming us. And so we just lift up our hands and say, Lord Jesus, this is impossible without the power of your Spirit. We know that we are perfect in Christ. We thank you for the righteousness that is in Christ, that is ours. But we thank you too, Lord, that you continue to transform us, make us more and more like Jesus. And uh, we want to respond to the invitation that you extend to us to go on this journey with you and to learn to walk with you and to be transformed and ever increasingly become mature men and women that live lives of love, that show your love to a world that doesn't know your love. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us, that you'd help us now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord.